Hey there, we're the Westlaw Pirates and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. And I'm John Lacombe. Uh, Scuzz is off this week. Uh, he will be back joining us next week as we dive into our uh, summer previews. Uh, that'll that'll kick off next week as we really get closer and closer to the beginning of this football season. Um, if you're just joining us uh, for this year, uh, we preview every team, um, all the teams that Northwestern does not play in the Big Ten, we give a little preview to. And then we go through the entire schedule. Uh, previewing all of the teams on the uh, on the schedule, kind of looking at offense, looking at defense, uh, looking at their schedules, kind of overall not not necessarily predictions, but giving uh, giving some thought to what might be uh, what we might be looking at this year. So uh, definitely looking forward to diving in next week um, as we start off with two of our uh, no plays. I believe we're going to be looking at. Uh, Maryland and Indiana, uh, and then the week after, uh, Ohio State and Penn State before we dive right into the start of the schedule. So uh, that's going to be good times. Um, any Anything, you know, as you're doing your research, John, anything kind of jumping out at you that can't wait until we uh, get rolling next week? Boy, um, I don't know. Like, I'm, I'm pretty deep into, I mean, for those of you who know, I mean, it, it tends to be I'll work the defensive side of the ball. Scuzz will work the offensive side of the ball. And then we kind of bat everything around. Um, we take pride in it. I like to think, you know, we're six years in doing this. And, and um, I think in terms of people that are podcasting, especially the Big Ten previewing everybody, I like to think we do as good of a job as anybody does. Um, and, you know, especially when you get into Scuzz's side of the ball, he'll really goes deep into the advanced stats and things like that. It's pretty impressive. So, um, yeah, I mean, I've been deep into defensive research. Um if I had to put one thing with a bullet on it that I'll get into a lot more in, in a couple of weeks, um, people might be surprised to know that Duke is really good on the defensive side of the ball. They were last year. They will be this year. Um, that was not something that was expected going into last year, and I don't think it was even something that was known at the time we played them. But uh, they good. Yeah, they, they really did pick it up uh, as the season went on, especially you know shutting us down the way they did. Yeah, and that was not an aberration. Um, yes, we were playing bad football at that time period. But, <laughs> uh, that, but with that said, Duke just—they were a distinguished unit last year, and we're going to get into that um, in a couple of weeks. Aside from that, um, the basic overall book, without stepping on it too much, is. This is a good defensive conference, which is not news to anybody. Um, yes, you've got some real wet garbage at the bottom of the conference, um, but you also have five or six teams at the top um, that we're right on the fringe of that group, but there are five or six teams at the top who are really good defensively, and we play most of them. So. Yeah, our, our schedule is rough, and we've talked about that um, throughout this offseason, just kind of looking ahead, but... The, it's a tough, tough schedule, and um, especially with coming off a ten-win season, uh, coming off just that wonderful finish, like winning our at last eight games after starting off two and three. Um, and, and yeah, I'll, I'll count the bowl game, even though that was just bizarre. And you know, no one. Hey, you know, they all they all count the same. Like they I do. Said, they do. They do. Never forget the optics outside of the program. 
as we talked about, I think it was last week or the week before, Clayton Thorson, outside of the program, is a 6'4", 220-pound quarterback who can move, who has 27 wins at Northwestern. Uh, never forget that that and a sweet lakefront facility gets you a lot of pretty eyeballs uh, and gets you a lot of interest from the high school kids, which we'll be talking about. But, um, of course, I'm really excited to see, you know, what kind of analytics Scuzz is, ha- you know, is, is going to throw around. My kind of general read is... Um, that right now there are a lot of teams, and you could maybe include us in this group, who are stronger defensively than they are offensively in the conference, and that it is going to be kind of a, a very defensive conference this year. But um, I mean, th- that's really been the story of the. That's like oh, kind sure. of the story of the Big Ten, right? Oh, f- for sure. And three and yards think, in a cloud of dust, kind of thing. Sure, and I think you know you got just just in the state of Michigan, you've got teams that are unbelievable on defense and offensively challenged and. Um, you know, I mean, and of course, like Penn State is going to be a mystery. And um, and then you've got some teams that, that we won't get into for a couple of weeks that in the Big Ten, um, uh, in the state of Indiana, we've got several teams, and I'm not even including Notre Dame here, who played surprisingly good defensive football. And the question will be um, if this is just an, an aberration, if we're going to regress to the mean, or if there's actually something going on there. Uh, so lest we step on our, our previews too much, um, you know, you did mention the new lakefront facility and, you know, how that <laughs> is, uh, turning some heads. Uh, we, we've been talking a lot about, uh, Jarrell Brock, uh, the running back out of, uh, Western, uh, Illinois, um, Quincy. Quincy, yeah. Uh, obviously I should have known Quincy. Uh, I've got some friends, we have some friends from Quincy, so. Uh, yeah, uh, Jarrell Brock from Quincy, uh, narrowed his list down. Uh, I believe he, you know, initially narrowed to seven, then dropped it to five, and now it's dropped to three. And what's really interesting is, um, based on when he dropped to five, uh, the two schools that are now no longer on the mix kind of changes our, our thought process on it. It, so it, it changed things. So I was a little bit surprised first, and I think a lot of people were, um, to look at, to see that the two teams that were dropped were Iowa and Purdue, especially Iowa. Because the book, I mean, if you look at, you know, 24, uh, 24-7's Crystal Ball or just reading different scuttlebutt around the internet, even after we entered uh, the Jarrell Brock's world like a ball of lightning and a bolt of lightning and then, uh, you know, clearly made an immediate and huge impact, Iowa was thought to be the leader and then suddenly he trimmed Iowa and Purdue off his list. The reason that it appears he did that, though, was because both schools picked up major junior college running back signings, um, especially Iowa, who picked up a really big one. And that basically effectively took the spot that, that, they, were, that they were going to be giving to him. And that's why he took them off. So don't take the fact that he eliminated Iowa from his list as going against the fact that Iowa was either first or second among the schools that he was considering. They just no longer had a running back spot for him. That matters because if you look at the three schools left, it's Northwestern, Iowa State, and Minnesota. Now, I think at least one prognosticator, um, I think a 247 person, although I believe they're a Minnesota-based person, now has the Gophers as the favor for him. It sounds kind of biased, but 
we know they're rowing the boat real hard up there and uh, and trying to make a real impact in the recruiting world. So um, I'm not going to discount that, but I kind of feel like we've felt for a long time that this Iowa City connection was a result of Iowa City getting on him. I, I mean, Iowa State getting on him really early. And that was a product of Louis Ianni, who is now recruiting him for Northwestern. So I don't think we ever felt like Iowa State was a contender. And I feel like that, if anything, our position has only been really bolstered here. And remember, we're one of his final three schools now. His list was six. It became seven as soon as Northwestern joined in the fray. And now we're one of the final three. So, and for what it's worth, um, yes, he lives in Western Illinois, but Ames, Iowa is farther away from his hometown than Northwestern is. (laughs) And Minneapolis is way farther away from his hometown than Northwestern is. So, um, it's, you, you kind of cross your fingers and furiously knock on wood, but all signs look very positive right now. Um, also, uh, Nick Jackson kind of making news. He's the three-star linebacker from Atlanta. Um, made a second visit to Northwestern. I was going to say, Atlanta technically, because he may or may not live in Evanston now. It's, un- <laughs> it's unclear. So he came on his second official visit uh, just a-, a few days ago and is now coming back to campus a third time. Uh, for the official opening of the of the new practice facility, and yeah, there's been all, all sorts of ribbon cuttings and whatnot, but the the big party he's coming back for. So this is uh you know very interesting. This is let's put it this way: his family's spending a lot of money on expensive plane tickets for her if if he's not really interested in Northwestern. Um, for, and for what it's worth, I mean, Rivals has Jarrell Brock rated at a 5.8 and a 4-star. Nick Jackson is a 5.7 and a 3-star. It's as high as you can be rated and not be a 4-star prospect. Um, he's got, what, 20-plus offers. Um, and it's, I mean, he's he's a top 25 middle linebacker in the country. So, uh, you're right. Like you said, it's that lakefront facility sure seems like it's paying early dividends here. Yeah, no, it's, and, you know, just kind of seeing some of the videos uh, with the spring, uh, uh, spring quarter finishing up, uh, graduation happened, and then uh, summer quarter, uh, summer quarter just started, which is where all the freshmen are coming in, um, kind of getting started working out, doing summer workouts. Uh, official practice doesn't start until later on the summer, but, um, I, I know all the freshmen are now on campus, uh, take, doing some you know, early classwork and uh, getting some work in the, the new facility and seeing some of these uh, videos that uh, players are posting and just kind of walking in to, for the first time and being like, holy crap. Um, it, it's impressive. And yeah, that is just... And, I, I feel like we're becoming a broken record just lauding the praises of this facility, but I don't think it can be understated. Not right now. And I mean, like, Rivals has a story up about a 2020 four-star wide receiver 
visiting the facility and being blown away. And and again, you're talking about a kid who's a high school sophomore right now, and he's from Texas. This is Colin Sullivan. So part of it is just the clout to be able to get a kid like that to come visit right now. And the facilities have a lot to do with that. And I think, you know, when you take Northwestern already having this strong foothold in Texas, to be able to, to have that out in the ether, right, where – young kids are saying oh wow like you know have you heard yeah oh yeah like they i've i went up and took a visit you got to go check this out and just getting guys on campus like that is just getting the bodies there is is a huge deal so yeah it's it's all positive right now um couple uh fun little tidbits of info to come out of the nba draft um no northwestern wildcat was drafted however uh Scotty Lindsay is going to be playing uh, Summer League with the D- Detroit Pistons. And uh, Bryant McIntosh continuing the Dell Demps connection, uh, going down to New Orleans to play for the Pelicans. Um, and, and Reggie Hearn is also playing uh, for Team USA as they uh, go into the, the World Championships. So uh, Wildcats really continuing to... To go on, it's awesome that Scotty was picked up by Detroit uh, for Summer League. Um, I, I think we all expected McIntosh to catch on somewhere uh, for Summer League, and hopefully he'll show out well uh, for the Pelicans, and we'll see what happens because uh, you just never know. I love the idea of potentially Lindsay and Hearn both playing at the same time in Detroit Pistons uniforms. That's so cool, even if it is just Summer League. Um well, no, Hearn's not playing Summer League. Hearn's playing Team oh, USA. right, because right, Hearn's going to be playing Team USA, so I guess that probably precludes that. But you never know if Lindsay could somehow make an impact to have two Wildcats. I mean, again, that's a tall order, but to have two Wildcats on an NBA team would, would be, of course, a huge deal. And McIntosh, I mean, I the big thing for him is just getting in a camp. I mean, I feel like McIntosh, just like the same as when he was coming out of high school, is the kind of guy who's not going to blow you away in – uh, the weight room or in workouts or anything like that. You've got to get him out there and put him in the mix to, to see what he can do. So that's great. The one other thing I'll add only because it's such an avenue for a great nickname is uh, Aaron Falzone is playing for Malta this summer in, I think it's like a small nations world championship or something. Yeah. It's the this... FIBA European championship for small countries. That. Just that that is a thing I find <laughs> awesome. Um, it's please it's tell me you're un- going Maltese Falzon. Exactly, that's the, only, <laughs> that's the only place you can go. The Maltese Falzon is is an unbelievable nickname, and uh, heretofore will be his nickname. Oh, absolutely! Um, but I think his brother is also playing for the same team, so that's fantastic. I mean, it, that's really fun for those guys, and just to have that option um, and that opportunity is really cool. So, yeah, it's some some cool little bits and little news and notes from basketball. Uh, um, th- this this is fun. Uh, seven teams in this tournament. Andorra, Gibraltar, Ireland, Moldova, Norway, and San Marino. I mean, first of all, like, I, this sounds random. I've actually been to Malta. It was a long time ago. This was when I was in, like, sixth or seventh grade. That's an awesome place. Uh, and it, it's, it's an island in the middle of the Mediterranean, which is just as cool as it sounds like it would be. And so here's my, like, Aaron, play some basketball if that's your thing, but mainly just soak it in, man. Spend a lot of time by the pool, you know, have some fun. 
this does not sound like a pressure-packed environment. I doubt we'll be remembering who won the FIBA Tournament of Small Nations 10 <laughs> years from now. So, uh, you know, in, enjoy yourself and uh, and uh, take in Malta. So, But, that, but I mean, good for him. It sounds like a blast. Anything else we need to hit on before uh, we get out of here to keep researching for uh, next week? I don't think so. I think, again, mainly we just kind of wanted to pop up. I know we've We've been off. We've been running around doing different things as we get into summer. Um, and I know I've, now it's just right. We're like kind of popping our heads out again and saying, hey, guys, we're back and uh, we're, we're raising the red pirate flag high. And uh, I think for all of you who've been with us for a lot of years, I mean, these these previews are a really fun thing and we really look forward to them. And, you know, we hope that you guys do, too. So um, it's going to start up again next week. Uh, something else is starting up again this weekend, um, and I, I let, lest we uh, neglect to talk a little World Cup soccer. Um, you know, the group stages ended today uh, with the, the the very interesting England Belgium uh, game, which oh, I, was so fascinating I, for I so many reasons. I can't get enough of the first and last time fair play will be used as a tiebreaker in the World Cup. <laughs> Japan and like the reason Japan's what is it? The reason Japan's advancing is because of fair play, right? Yeah, I mean you had two situations where um, the one everyone knew coming in was England Belgium. So for those of you who don't know, the way it works is like this: two teams make it out of each group of four teams. There are thirty-two teams in it, eight groups of four. The best two teams, after everyone in the group plays each other, make it out. The obviously it'll go to whichever with three points for a win, one point for a tie, zero points for a loss. The team with the most points finishes first, team with the second most amount of points finishes second. They both advance. If and in any situation there's a tie between two teams, the first tiebreaker is goal differential how many, how many uh goals you gave up versus how many goals you scored. The second tiebreaker is total goals, but this year the third tiebreaker is fair play which is amount of yellow and red cards you've you've got. So if you're the same if you're level if two teams are level and fouls too, I believe. And fouls, right. So it's it's this complicated machinery that basically determines how clean your team has played. And if you if two teams are tied, which seems like a long shot, except this year it happened twice. Um, the one everyone knew was going to happen going in was England and Belgium were both tied on points goal differential and total goals going into their match they both already clinched going through but the kicker is obviously so the group the the side of the bracket round of 16 bracket that the losing team in that match was going to go to is the way better side to be on and because it was coming down to fair play people were envisioning these awesome scenarios where it would just become blood sport and these teams would be like, we're going to tie and may the team with the most cards win. And just it would just become this total like American football match. But what was really interesting is, you know, the thought was that Colombia would um, could have been in the other uh, in the other bracket. You know, there was there was a chance that uh, Japan could have been in the, the bracket and which would have made the uh, the matchup even easier. So. Now England has to play Colombia, who's a very, very solid team. If they can get past Colombia, then you're then looking you're, you're looking at Sweden, Switzerland, uh, 
Denmark, Croatia, Russia, and Spain. Russia's a- Russia's in there because they had the most cupcake of cupcake divisions, right. and they're the end of the home country. So all the doping, hey, all Putin, the doping is Putin there. Played Putin paid good money to get them this far. <laughs> Don't you diminish this? Um, but so the funny thing though is. That's the one that everyone talked about going in, and then it ended up being just this crappy match where neither team was trying to score until... Um, and Belgium got two first-half yellow cards that were loudly celebrated by their fans. But then Belgium, one of their players, uncorked this great goal, and to the credit, the Belgian fans celebrated it, and Belgium ended up winning. So, I mean, the, the bottom line is that game sucked, and everyone who was there thought so, and but... The real surprise came in the first set of games where it – what happened? I guess Colombia took a 1-0 lead on Senegal and at that point, um, they – Japan – well, shortly before that, Poland took a 1-0 lead on Japan. And when Colombia took a 1-0 lead on Senegal, all of a sudden, Japan and Senegal were going to be tied on points – and goal differential and total goals going in and Japan was in a better situation relative to fair play and Japan protected a 1-0 loss for almost the entire second half because it was worth more to them to not give up another goal than to try to score a goal and somehow blow it and give up another goal to Poland so it was just so weird you've got Japan losing and just like taking their sweet time because like that was the best situation for them. It was a total mess. Like kudos to FIFA for trying to like make fair play a thing, but they're going to have to tweak it because it, it ended up being a god awful mess. So, yeah, looking at the this round of 16, um you got uh on one side of the bracket, uh you got Uruguay and Portugal, France and Argentina, Brazil, Mexico and Belgium, Japan. Um you could very realistically see, uh, you know, Portugal and Argentina, Messi versus Ronaldo. Um, Argentina's looked very mediocre uh, throughout the group stage, and Portugal. I mean, they they haven't really looked like world killers either. They no, yeah, I don't think. I mean, one of those teams is probably going to make it farther than they deserve to. Um, I will say. There are a couple teams that are just playing out of their mind in this tournament. Belgium looks unbelievable. England also look unbelievable. T- today's like, today's game aside. Right. Today's game meant nothing. It was two teams almost trying to lose. I mean, both um, both teams had, like, all of their backups in. Um, right. It was, yeah. But, Let's yeah. put it this way. The team that took our spot in the World Cup, Panama, England beat them 6-1. to one. So... Just, just to rub it in our faces a little bit more. Um, but Belgium look awesome. England look awesome. France is so loaded with talent. It's just unbelievable. Um, and But yet they, like, they've, they've seemed to underperform. Oh, for sure. And I mean, it's so, I mean, it's, it's kind of like pretty much all of the fat has been trimmed off. Very few teams that you would say are just flat, undeserving, or lucky have made it through. And the ones that have been super lucky like Argentina are like blue bloods. Um, so, I mean, but with that, I mean, this is the first time since 1986 there are no African teams in the round of 16. And crazily, 
It's the first time Germany hasn't made it to the final eight teams, let alone final 16 teams, since 1938. So as bad as things are for the U.S., they're worse for Germany. Yeah, I mean, talk about, you know, you got the defending World Cup uh, champions coming in, and they looked rough. Oh, I mean, they... They were a mess. They were, yeah, they are god-awful. I mean, it takes a little bit of the luster off of Mexico's win over them that apparently Germany are just horrible now. Um, so, the... And, I mean, they were barely... I mean, they could have been eliminated after their second game if they wouldn't have scored in the, the very end. So, um, but, I mean, yeah, now, you, now you've got all the top teams. We get one day off on Friday, and then we jump right back into it. So, yeah, it's super fun. I encourage everybody, if you're not in on it, get in on it now. It, it's it's so much fun. Do you have a favorite right now? I mean, I I kind of looking at it and trying to guess, you know, what, what we might be looking at. If I had to pick any one team, I would say Belgium. Um, they maybe are not the most loaded top to bottom, but in terms of like a team that has the best players playing the best right now, they have like three or four guys who are just playing unbelievably well and they play well together. Um, and then running the whole show, they've got Kevin De Bruyne, who is, um, this year, you could easily argue that he was from, you know, season's end, season's finish to season's end. The best, I mean, you could say Cristiano Ronaldo, I guess, was the best player on the best team. Um, but the best player on the best team in England by far was Kevin De Bruyne and Manchester City were by far the best team. And he's like a, he's a central midfielder. So it's, he's one of definitely one of the best guys in this World Cup and he touches the ball all the time. So, He's just playing absolutely out of his mind, and he's right at the core of everything that they do. So that's it. I mean, England, France, teams are absolutely stacked. But um, if I had to pick someone, I'd pick Belgium. Um, I will say my favorite moment by far of the World Cup so far is the South Korean ambassador to Mexico. (laughs) Taking tequila shots in Mexico City while he's being hoisted onto the shoulders of Mexican fans while they chant, Korean brother, you are now Mexican. Unbelievable. That is, if you have to sum the World Cup into any one moment, that is the best moment. Yeah. And what's interesting is, like, yes, they advance. Good good for Mexico. That's fantastic. Um, and, And they get a matchup with Brazil. Yeah, have fun. Have fun with that. <laughs> I mean, I give them credit for beating Germany. I mean, they stepped up and no one knew. And, and I mean, of course, Brazil, between Mexico and Brazil, those are two teams just with the crushing weight of pressure. Um, I mean, poor Brazil will live in infamy as this team that got obliterated by Germany in the last World Cup because pressure just ate them alive. In, now, in their own backyard. In their own stadium, exactly. So um, they're feeling it big time, and now these things really count. So, yeah, I mean, it's every game is going to be super exciting from this point on. Uh, Sweden, Switzerland, uh, you know, <laughs> Croatia, Denmark. I mean, uh... Maybe. Are you saying? Are you saying you feel kind of neutral on Sweden, Switzerland? I'm feeling a little there. neutral on Sweden, Switzerland. <laughs> um, the Cro- Croatia has actually impressed me as well. I mean, they they've looked pretty solid. Mm-hmm. Um, Spain is good. I, I I honestly haven't seen much of their their play they're, this season. But so, 
It's the same dudes. They're just they're they're, they're still trotting out. Andres Iniesta, I think, is like as old as we are. Um, but they, you know, these guys still just get trotted out for Spain and continue to make plays. I I would love to see England make a run. I mean that that is that that would be really cool. Yeah, I just ain't at England. Yeah, I mean they've been so snake bitten for so long that it's like they they certainly have the talent to to go and and make it. So we'll see. All right, so we'll go ahead and leave it there for this week. We'll be back next week with the start of our uh, football previews. Uh, but before we go, we should uh, maybe continue our search for the Swally Grail. For my final thought, I never would have thought that I'd be going to this particular sport, but I'm going to talk college baseball. Um, <laughs> there, uh, oh, oh my goodness! If so, I, I don't even claim to have vaguely any knowledge of college baseball. ESPN, of course, broadcasts all of these college World Series games. Well, you know, well before the actual quote College World Series in Omaha, they broadcast regionals and all this stuff. It's always on. Because it's available, and I'm kind of like, great, college baseball, I know nothing about this. And then, for whatever reason, I turned on the second game of the College World Series final series, which is a best-of-three series, Oregon State-Arkansas. There's a good chance some of you out here may not be aware of what happened here, because ESPN and like SI and whoever else are not really covering this uh, for how big of a deal it was, but... Arkansas won the first game, and in the second game, they were leading 3-2 in the top of the ninth, and they were pitching. So in other words, if it ends in the top of the ninth, it ends. Arkansas is your national championship. They were up 3-2 with a man on second and Oregon State batting with two outs and Oregon State. And two strikes. And two strikes. And Oregon State popped out. Uh, into just foul territory, just off the first base side. Um, it was a gimme pop fly. The first baseman ran over to take it. The outfielder had the clearest path, but was probably the farthest away. And inexplicably, the second baseman charged all the way over, right into the flag, tried to call everyone off. The ball landed right in between all three guys. Um, it was a gimme pop fly. Catching it would have won Arkansas the national championship. Two pitches later, that batter drives in the tying run. The next guy up hits a home run. And Arkansas loses the game in the bottom of the ninth. And, as any Cubs fan can tell you, yes, they technically had to play one more game. And they played that tonight. But that game was already lost. And that's exactly what happened. And Oregon State smoked Arkansas in Game Three, five so nothing. Ar- yeah, I mean it was it was yeah. It was ne- it was never close. Arkansas had a chance to catch a, sing- a single pop up and win the national title, and they didn't. And for any of you Nebraska, I mean Arkansas people or Arkansas or college football fans of a certain age, you will remember. Uh, and this was my first thought: was the Clint Sterner fumble. In 1998, when Tennessee won the national title, but we're losing uh, to Arkansas by two with a minute and a half left. Arkansas was at the 50, and Tennessee was out of timeouts. Arkansas just had to take a knee. They went to hand off, and Clint Sterner, their quarterback, tripped, fell, fumbled. Tennessee recovered and drove down and scored. 
That was the first thing I thought of, and I wasn't alone. Clint Sterner was trending on Twitter last night and tonight. And if you put his name in uh, to Twitter, it is just the saddest Arkansas fans. It's it, They are a snake-bitten university in terms of sports. If it ain't track and field, um, they've had some rough times. But uh, it blowing a routine pop fly and losing a national championship on that play does not get too much worse. So um, if you aren't aware of that, I'm sure you can find the highlights online. But talk talk about a bad beat. Whoa, man. But, you know, fortunately, they've got um, a, a really cakewalk uh, schedule coming up this year through their side of the, oh, the SEC <laughs> yeah, West. That's, oh, that's never right. mind. I was about to say, oh, has Arkansas, is are they Conference USA now? Because, no, that's not nope. what's going to happen at all. <laughs> yes. Oh, God. Well, woo pig, woo pig suey. Uh, just thinking back, uh, actually, as you mentioned that, I funny um, stories come that kind of are jumping to my mind from this period of time I was living in, in Las Vegas, and uh, Arkansas actually played in the Las Vegas Bowl, which was just so much fun, you know, having all these Arkansas fans in Vegas, uh, woo pig suey, that, that was fantastic. Also in Vegas, um, 2002, I have uh, distinct memories of being in an England, uh, a British pub in Vegas where me and my roommate were the only people in there with American accents. It was 2 a.m. We're watching, it was when they were playing in uh, Korea and Japan. Uh, So 2 a.m. in Vegas. You know, everyone is just blotto drunk. It's phenomenal. And uh, my roommate and I call Scuzz on the phone just to, like, on his answering machine, we're just saying, you know, come on, England. You know, basically just held our phones up in in the bar. Uh, So all of the English singing and dancing and all of that that was going on, uh, Scuzz could get a a nice little taste of, um, which, you know, at at 3 a.m., in a British pub in Vegas made all the sense of the world uh, to to me and my roommate at that point. So, um, yeah, and you know, watch, watching the England game today and hearing a lot of those cheers uh, that they still do kind of brought me back to that. So, uh, just, you know, fun little times from my few years living in Vegas. Oh, yeah, and, and now Vegas has hockey. And people said Vegas wasn't going to be a good hockey town. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so we'll go ahead and leave it there for this week. Uh, you can head to our website, westlotpirates.com, to leave comments and questions. You can find us on Facebook. Find us on Twitter, at Pirates. You can call our voicemail line, 847-231-2287. That's 847-231-CATS. And email the show, westlotpirates at gmail.com. Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics. And look for us in the west lot of Ryan Field flying the red pirate flag, because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. For John Lacombe, I'm Sam Walter. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.